Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Good morning, my beloved friends, and welcome back to this journey that we are traveling together as we work our way through the seven spiritual practices that make up the way of love. We are at stop six along the way. Go. But before we dive into this particular spiritual practice, let's recap where we've been and what we've learned so far. These seven spiritual practices create what is called a rule of life. A rule of life is not a spiritual list of do's and don'ts with some capricious or litigious consequences, but rather an intentional path set before us, seeking out the best of who we are, helping shape and guide how we choose to live in the world every day. There are many different kinds of rules of life, they come from many different sources, they're written by many different people, and they vary in length and content. The element of this rule of life is made up of seven spiritual practices called the way of love, and they are turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. We've used the imagery of cairns, the Gaelic word describing that little pile of rocks that you find along the way as you're hiking along. Those piles of rocks are set up by someone who has come before, helping us guide the way forward. We've stopped briefly each week to explore what they might have to teach us, and then we've used the gospel text assigned through our lectionary each Sunday to shed some additional light on each particular practice. So where have we been and what have we learned so far? Our first cairn or pile of rocks invited us to turn, a word that could be heard both literally and figuratively underscoring the importance of remembering our agency, remembering our power to make choices again and again every day, helping us to turn towards love making choices to self-correct any time that we lose our way. Our second stop along the way was learn, an invitation to consider reading and studying scripture, drawing us closer and deeper into an experience of the divine. You may recall that I shared some of my personal struggles to find a way to embrace scripture over the years. For many of us, Scripture has been weaponized and used as a tool doing irreparable harm. So it felt important to acknowledge that reality as well as to share some of the ways that I have learned to navigate this important spiritual practice. The next stop along the way happened to be during our celebration of Gay Pride Sunday as we came upon the cairn marked Pray. I told the story of singing in a wonderfully diverse gospel choir and how that experience forever changed my understanding of prayer. 
we were invited to consider expanding our definition of prayer to any way of being that privileges the divine for even a moment. Then our fourth stop, we explored the practice of worship and what that calls to us to do as a particular community of faith at Trinity. We explored the importance of courage and vulnerability in all that we do as a progressive, inclusive, creative community of faith located in an urban context. We know we will never meet the expectations of every person who either walks through the door or tunes in online, and this spiritual practice can help us remember the importance of being resilient and authentic. We used social researcher and Episcopalian Brene Brown's understanding of what it means to be in the arena and to keep showing up again and again, week after week, as faithful followers of the way of love. Then last week, instead of a pile of rocks, we came upon a door, a door along this journey. It was a door that only we could see with letters that spelled the word bless. We heard about this door, how it is always available to us to walk through, if only we could take the time to see it clearly for ourselves, and then courageously to reach out, to turn the knob and cross over the threshold. It's a door reminding us that we are both blessed and called to go out into the world to be a blessing to others. So here we are today on our second to last stop along the way of love. Today, our cairn is marked with the word go. Today is also the day I would like to share what has become my own rule of life over the past 20 years. It comes from the anonymous writings of a 16th century Sufi mystic. I didn't seek out these words, but years ago, they found me and were written on my heart with little effort and no resistance. I heard them resonate with truth for me and a way of being in the world to which I aspire every day. They came to me at a time when I most needed them, and since then they have helped me countless times and in countless ways to make decisions, to help orient me when I have been lost or scared, and to remind me that our days are indeed short and we have but given, been given but one wild and precious life. So I offer them this morning as one way to approach the spiritual practice of go. Go where you are sent. Wait until you are shown what to do. Do it with your whole self. Remain until you have done what you were sent to do. Walk away with empty hands. So what happens when we now hold up this ancient writing and today's practice of go, both up to the light of the gospel lesson that we just heard from Mark? The disciples have just come back from their first maiden voyage as bearers of the good news. They must have been both excited and exhilarated and probably exhausted, full of all kinds of stories to share with Jesus. Maybe stories of celebration, maybe some stories of moments of doubt, maybe glimpses into a world of possibility and transformation, and also times when they might have met rejection and have been discouraged. Jesus said, go, and they did. 
And now they are back, needing time with their Rebbe, their teacher, to eat and drink and rest, a process, and to process all that they have been through. And maybe, though the text doesn't tell us explicitly, I'm wondering if Jesus might have felt a bit worn out himself. He must have been grieving still the loss of John the Baptist, his cousin, the one who baptized him, marking the beginning of his ministry. And it must have been heartbreaking, as we suggested last week when we heard the gruesome story, to have lost him through the violence of murder. We are all too familiar, even these days, with the pain and horror that comes with death at the hands of such violence. So out of his longing, perhaps, and love for his disciples, Jesus responds with that beautiful line we just heard in the text when he says, Come away. Come away to a place all by yourselves and rest a while. For that reason, preachers often use this text to underscore the importance of Sabbath, of integrating a time of rest for us all. And while there is indeed great importance in the practice of rest, there is another invitation for us today. And keep in mind, rest will be our last stop along the way, and we will get there next week. Today I want to call our attention to what happens after Jesus invites the disciples to go away with him for a bit. First, we should note that today's text is actually a weird cut-and-paste job of two sections of the sixth chapter of Mark, omitting a middle chunk of the text. So what we end up with is a bookended section of a much larger piece of the text. And these two sections that we hear today happen to be basically the same scenario twice. Each time Jesus gets his disciples in a boat, in order to go away for some quiet time away from the crowds. And what happens? Again, the same thing twice. In both scenarios, Jesus and his cohorts are outed, if you will. They are discovered as word of their ministry spreads. Both times, when Jesus and his disciples arrive on the shore, they find a crowd already waiting for them. Both times, the crowd needs and wants to see and hear what Jesus has to say. It's a part of human nature to seek out and find what we are lacking in our lives. The crowd is hungry for hope. So are we. They want healing and wholeness. So do we. The word is out that Jesus offers what they most need, and so they come. Wouldn't we do the same if we were in their place? But rather than get back in the boat and take his disciples to a less populated destination, Mark tells us this. Jesus had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Even though Jesus must have been tired and hungry himself, he gives the crowd what they most need. He stops, regroups, and refocuses on who and what is right in front of him and the ministry that he is called to, the way of love. The path he said yes to from the moment that he came out of the wilderness and set his intention to be God's love in the world. 
Jesus saw people whose lives were chaotic as they tried to provide for their families. Jesus saw people who were confused by the changes in the world around them. Jesus saw people fearful of others who were not just like them. Jesus saw people who simply had lost their way. Jesus saw people who were hungry for reassurance and longed for words of hope. And each time, his response was not to draw away, but instead to go, to go to them, offering them compassion, hope, and love. Both times in the text today, Jesus' vacation plans for him and his disciples were spoiled. Both times, people came in droves asking for what they needed, assurance, healing, hope, and both times, Jesus lets them come. And I think why he does that, at least in part, is because of this spiritual practice calling him and all of the rest of us to go. To go out into the places in the world where we are both needed and to the places where our lost souls and hurts will discover God's love and the power of transformation waiting to receive and change us as well. Many of you have heard me say over the years now that I believe we are called to be both and people. I have described us as a people of the altar and the exit. The altar draws us together to be fed and forgiven, connected and renewed, remembering who we are as a hot mess of blessings and brokenness on any given day, all the while called to be messengers and vessels of God's love and forgiveness. And then we are also called to be people of the exit. The exit sign over every doorway is our shining talisman sending us out into the world, reminding us to go. Because you see, the mission of the church is not about building a bigger church. The mission of the church is about living a better way out in the world. Believing that justice and freedom, hope and kindness can and will temper the hatred, the division, the fractured nature of the world that we still live in every day. So what I hear in this practice to go today is a mandate. A mandate to remember that we are sent out into the world to share and experience God's love as it is already ever-present. Presiding Bishop Michael Curry makes it plain, as we just heard, when he explains it this way. Our mandate, he suggests, is to go out into the world and touch somebody's life, to go out into the world to love the way Jesus loved, to go out into the world and give as Jesus gives to go out into the world and forgive as Jesus forgives, to go out into the world as we hear in the text of Micah to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. So today, my friends, I want us to go out on another little theological limb and consider this. I think that maybe it would be a good idea for each of us to worry less about the mandate of making disciples of all nations and instead start by going out into the world and being disciples, willing and able, 
to offer compassion, hope, and love, just as Jesus did at every turn, to every person along the way. So may we go where we are sent. May we wait until we are shown what to do. May we do it with our whole selves. May we remain until we have done what we were sent to do. And then and only then may we walk away with empty hands. May it be so.